It's time for Watch and Learn, the show where we discuss the life lessons we learn from the movies we watch. Today, Dead Man's Chest. Hey, hey, movie maniacs. My name is Sky, and I'm here with my brother, Dusty. Dust, what is going on? What's up, dude? I am looking forward to doing this podcast um, episode with you because I really like Pirates of the Caribbean. Obviously, the ride was number one in my book. When I, you know, every time, and we talked a little bit about this in uh, when we recorded uh, Curse of the Black Pearl. Um, whenever we went to Disneyland, that was our mom's favorite ride was uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. And I remember, do you remember the time when we took our mom to have lunch there and we spent our own money? Like we want to do a treat for her. Do you remember that? No, I don't know. Not at all. Yeah, so it was her birthday or right around her birthday. And you and I said, hey, mom, we're going to take you because we never ate uh, lunch because that was her favorite ride. But we never ate lunch or ate inside the Pirates of the Caribbean. I don't know why it was either expensive or what. But, you know, we had either our paper routes or something. But we said, mom, we want to take you. And so we went in there. We actually had lunch in there with her mom. And it was it was a great time. Nice, man. You know, years later, I can't, I, I honestly don't recall that at all. But years later, me, Denise and the boys went in there. And uh, we had, oh, man, I think it was a Reuben, like a, like a, a dipped and fried Reuben sandwich that was really good there. That's what I remember about that restaurant. And yeah. just the ambiance, you know, you're within the ride. It's nice and cool in there too. Like hot summer day, you go in that ride for lunch. Oh my gosh, it's the best hour ever being in the coolness. I agree. And you know what's funny is Ruben, that was our mom's favorite sandwich too. So that that's actually pretty fun. Oh, and she probably had that that day, huh? More than likely. More, yeah. She always got that. But uh, so with Dead Man's Chest, did so I think part one or um, Crystal Black Pearl was released in 2003 and this one came out in 2006. So it was a full three years um, after did they have a plan of one, two, and three, or did after one do so well, let's do two and three? No, I really think they did. Uh, as far as I know, it's well, it's the same director the whole time. Gore Verbinski did all three movies, and I think it's the same writing team the whole time. Um, Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio. And it was Jerry Bruckheimer the whole way. So my guess is they had a plan from the beginning. Maybe they wanted to wait until the success of Curse of the Black Pearl, make sure it was a hit before they really committed two and three. But I think as soon as this one, like you had said last movie, it made like 100, I can't remember the number, 600 million or something like that in the last movie. But after numbers like that, you you know that they're going to be making more, you know? Yeah, and so I looked up the budget. The budget was $225 million, and I doubt that this comes with the marketing as well. Marketing is much more on top of that. But the opening weekend was one, uh, $135 million. Um, gross USA was $423 million, and cumulative gross worldwide, $1 billion. Oh, my gosh. With a B? Yes, with a B. Can you believe that? I mean, your budget was... Um, basically a quarter million dollars, you come out with a billion dollars for part two. I know. Can you believe it, man? And like we said last time, it's all about merchandising. So I guarantee <laughs> they sold the crap out of swords and guns and Lego toys and all that stuff. 
Absolutely. You know, merchandising, that's the way to go. And, you know, every single time I go to Disneyland, go to Disneyland, you're going to find, um, Jack Sparrow stuff. You're going to find everything for the Pirates of the Caribbean. Like it, it, they really pumped up that, not necessarily the ride itself, but like definitely the merchandising, definitely the, um, iconic stuff that Pirates of the Caribbean has. Now, let me ask a question. Did part two live up to part one in your eyes? Uh, not as it was still very good and i think the movie still holds up but i think it lost a little bit of the magic because everything was brand new seeing this entire world and it seemed like they did kind of repeat a lot of the same elements from the prior movie particularly a cursed crew now Davy Jones, I wouldn't necessarily say his crew is cursed because they seem to be more like it's their choice to be fishmen kind of a thing. But in general, you know, you've got our hero pirates up against a cursed group of pirates. So some similarities, which kind of made me feel that I give the last one an A. This one's probably an A minus for me. It's still good, just not as good. I would agree with that. I actually like your um, rating on that. I would give this an A minus as well. Um, I was kind of toying with like a B plus. But after, as I was watching it, I remember um, all the good things about Pirates of the Caribbean Part One, and then also the the ride as well. And it picks up on the ride as you know on top of that. So, like I remember, in, in we were talking about Curse of the Black Pearl. You said your most iconic or rememberable scene inside, not the movie, but in the ride and Disneyland was where the guy is inside the well and he gets pulled up and he spits water out. That was, and that was in this episode or, you know, uh, part two that was inside dead's man's chest. So that whole scene was there as well. It was man. As soon as that popped up on the screen, I remembered it and yeah, I noticed it right away for sure. Yeah, and it's just fun because it does take you back to be like you're a kid again. And you're like, oh, man, look at you seeing this as a kid. I remember all that stuff. Yeah, you know what's interesting, too, is um, they they brought it. So the first movie, of course, turned the ride into a game. I'm sorry, into a movie. But they also brought a lot of other things from outside of the ride, just general pirate stuff like Davy Jones and Dead Man's Chest. They actually put that stuff that we've heard of that we don't really have a reference for, but you've heard it if you watch pirate movies and stuff. They put that in this one. I thought that was a pretty cool uh, choice to do as well, you know, building on the whole pirate lore. Yeah, definitely. Just continually building on it because we all, uh, I didn't really, I guess I wasn't really big into pirate stuff other than the Pirates of the Caribbean um, ride. And so I didn't really read any other books or watch any other movies or really anything like that. So things like Dead Man's Chest and Davy Jones Locker, like I hear that from, I think either from the ride or something. Uh, so I, I think it was, probably was from the ride. But what, what are your thoughts about where, where does Davy Jones and Dead Man's Chest come from? I don't know originally where they came from. There might have been an old pirate back in the day. And maybe it was like superstition that he died and he's now the one that ferries souls to the underworld or, you know, something along those lines, you know. And the whole Dead Man's Chest, I've heard that somewhere sometime. And I would just kind of would assume that it's a, a you know a chest full of gold, the most valuable chest ever. And a dead man hid it. Now it can't be found would be my guess. Or actually, it might be like, um, oh, man, a treasure treasure what's that what's that treasure pirate movie treasure pirate movie there's a movie with the oh. na- with the with the word treasure in the name oh treasure island gosh darn that's it so treasure. in treasure island i think there's a dead man or basically a skeleton pointing to where the chest lays across the valley or that kind of a thing 
I could be totally huh. wrong. The listeners could let me know, but I think maybe that's where dead man's chest, the term came from. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I want to say inside of the ride itself, I remember either somebody says it in the ride at Disneyland or it's part of one of the songs or something like that. But I, I do remember it being a part of the ride as well, which is really makes it obviously more fun because you're remembering things that, that you grew up with as a kid. Yeah, for sure. You so know what I would it. make the ride more fun is if they actually sold rum or some kind of rum cocktails <laughs> at the ride you know i mean the ride is a ton of fun i still love it i even like the changes that they've made you know I, I still enjoy the ride i kind of think back to some of the things that they took away and they changed to be more pc and that's kind of a bummer that they changed the ride to be pc but they include jack sparrow in just about every scene you see him throughout the ride and the still the general feel of the ride is still there and so have you been on it recently since they've made changes Yes. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Recently, as I we went to Japan, and in Japan has Disney World, or sorry, Disneyland, as well as Disney Sea there. So it was, I think, of 2017 is when we went to Japan. Are you talking about that recently? Yeah, yeah, that recent. So you okay. probably saw Johnny Depp, or not Johnny Absolutely. Depp, Captain Jack Sparrow spread uh, spread throughout the ride, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Each okay. scene, he like he's in the new one, new part, like a, something going on in that scene. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. I like, it. and I think a lot of times it's like he's kind of like hide, he's kind of like hiding from pirates that are looking for him, you know. So you'll find him hiding behind corners of walls and stuff. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it was it was really cool. And then like we talked about in the last episode of our podcast that occasionally when they're going to put out a new uh, Pirates of the Caribbean movie, they would have Johnny Depp dress up as Jack Sparrow and just kind of pop up all throughout Disneyland inside the the ride and everything. And he gets a buzz on social media and all that good stuff, which is smart, good marketing. Oh, for sure. It is, man. And And so uh, I was reading that Keith Richards, so Keith Richards is the person he plays, he's a uh, guitarist in the Rolling Stones, and he is the personality character type that Johnny Depp he based his performance off of Keith Richards and his his almost like druggy not druggy but like completely like out of it type of personality that's where Johnny Depp he based his character off of that but I also read that Keith Richards was supposed to make a cameo appearance in this movie as his dad but it didn't work out because he was on a world tour for the Rolling Stones but we know that he does in part three um, at World's End is when he actually comes and says is his dad so I thought that was pretty cool that he was going to be in this one didn't work out but we finally get to see him in the last uh, or part three. Oh yeah man that's that's pretty cool and i'm looking forward i haven't watched part three yet so it's going to be cool watching that again and then discussing it with you and i'll be looking for that scene and look to how look to see how they kind of like um play off of each other right like i am sure you can kind of thinking back at it i'm thinking like uh his dad is a little bit more gruff and rough and maybe unapproving of his son's life you know which might be kind of an interesting thing to watch again yeah i got a question for you now mm-hmm I'm going to jump right to a scene that is almost pivotal pivotal in the movie where it's the dice game. I cannot figure out how I would ever win that dice game. It's basically just lying. But can you explain to me how it works and how you are like, what's the best way to win? Yeah, from watching it. I think you roll your dice. You have five dice in your little cup. You take a look at the numbers. And whoever starts it off says, I think there's, out of all of the dice, I think there's going to be, maybe you have three fives in your cup, right? 
So if you have three, there's a chance that the others have at least one, maybe two th fives each. So you could say, I think there's going to be seven fives. And I think if you're the one that starts off by claiming the five, now the others have to make their guesses based on the number five. So if you say there's going to be seven fives, maybe if I'm next to act, I can say, oh, he's probably got three, but I actually have four. If I have four and he has three, there's seven total. The next guy probably has at least one. So I'm going to up him and say eight. And now the next guy looks, you know what I mean? It's, it's, so it's just guessing at how many fives or whatever that first number is that somebody guesses. Um, which I, there's probably some kind of skill, some kind of mathematically based skill there. I haven't spent any time really trying to figure it out, though, like I do poker, you know? My goodness. Yeah, I... I don't, because I was trying to watch it. I was like, I had to rewind it to watch it again to exactly figure it out. But obviously, we know the reason why Will Turner, the you know the boy or um, um, Orlando Bloom, we know why his character did it. He, if he won or lost, he didn't care. He just wanted the key. He wanted to know where the key was, which was brilliant. But you know, like, to play a game that you have really don't have really a good grasp on, be really detrimental because more than likely they're going to lose. But I was like. How did he lose? Like when by the time the game was over, the dad lost. I was like, "How did he lose? Like, what's the deal?" Like, I just I couldn't get it. Yeah, I couldn't get it either. But I did like how they brought in the first movie. They talked about old Will Turner, right, or Bootstrap Bill is what they called him. And it's cool how they talked about him, talked about him, and then bam, in movie number two, he actually gets to meet Bootstrap Bill, his own dad, and they brought him into the story. And I thought that was a really way, a really cool way to tie in parts one and two, and it really made it feel like they had this planned out from the beginning. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, what did you think about, we have a new bad guy now, but obviously we know at the end, Barbosa comes back at the very, very end, but throughout this whole movie, we have Davy Jones being the bad guy. What are your thoughts about Davy Jones? Good, like him, don't like him. What are your thoughts? Well, and along with what you said in the prior movie, when we discussed it, you said there were two bad guys, two antagonists, right? This one also, you have the, um, I can't even think of the guy's name, but he, he runs the North India Trading Company, right? Yep. Them. And you have Davy Jones. Now, you asked about Davy Jones. I really like that character of Davy Jones. He looked awesome. Squid Man or Octopus Man, whatever it was. They killed it with the CG. And I really liked his cutthroat nature. And they had a great character playing him. Bill Nighy is awesome in every movie I ever see him in. Um, from the Underworld series to Hot Fuzz and all the various roles he's been in. I thought he was great as kind of like a just a, a cutthroat evil pirate himself you know he wasn't out i basically i think he's out to collect souls as opposed to treasure right absolutely mm -hmm. yes and he and was do, he did a great job i love davy jones as the bad guy yeah he did a great job playing or the the actor uh bill knightley or knightley yeah Nighy. there's no t knightley yeah Nighy. he did a great job but what was interesting <laughs> is he's his boat is called the flying dutchman but he had a scottish accent <laughs> i was like that's not Dutch. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, they, I don't think they really, for us Americans, like maybe you picked up on that. I didn't pick up on that at all. I guess he didn't sound Dutch. He didn't sound like Arnold Schwarzenegger or anything, you know, I guess. But yeah, I, I didn't even pick up on that. Yeah, and what was interesting, obviously the boat's called Flying Dutchman, but Gore Verbitsky, the director, wanted Bill Nighley to actually be a Dutch, Dutch captain, like a Dutch guy. But he said... I don't do Dutch. I only so I decided to do Scottish because I could do Scottish. So he just picked with one that he could do. Oh, interesting. You know, I bet 
Bill Nighy is one of those guys where, like, you could imagine, I, I really don't know this, but I would imagine Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, when they get in their role, they might take a little bit of direction from the director, but basically they're going to play the role the way they want to. I bet you Bill Nighy is the same kind of guy. Hey, you hired me for this role. Let me do my thing. I know what I'm doing. I've been acting for 40 years. You know what I mean? I would agree with that. And yeah. if you're smart, you're going to let him do it. You know, just like with Johnny Depp, if the director would have said, no, Johnny, don't play him like that. That's just stupid. It's, I mean, Johnny Depp's a, a, he's a phenomenal actor. Obviously, he's a little quirky at times. I mean, he's actually pretty stupid, in my opinion, for some of the things that he actually tries to pull. But all that to say, like, he's a great actor. You got to trust his instinct and let him go with what he believes the character's going to do because he is Johnny Depp or Bill Nighy or, you know, a really big name. It's like, man, let's just let him run with it. I agree with you there. And Bill Nighy, like you said, is one of those that you let them run. Now, at the very end, I'm going to jump right to the very end of the movie. Did you watch, did you say past the credits to of see course. what? Okay, so what happens? Uh, wait, you, you're talking about the return of Barbosa? No, no. <laughs> oh, something well, even beyond that? I, I don't think I stayed that long. So you don't necessarily need to watch it. It's rather, it's rather silly. I don't know why they came up with it. But yeah, at the very end, right before they have the um, the Brookheimers like picture at the very end with the producer and all that sort of stuff, it, you know, closing everything out. They actually have um, so in this movie, you have everybody goes to by uh, this island, you know, after you try to shipwreck the um, or put the boat on land so the Kraken can't get him. He's at the Aboriginal, you know, like the island where all the bad guys are trying to eat him. Well, the scene is basically where these Aboriginals are dancing around. And then you have, remember the prison dog, the dog with the keys in the very first episode or first yeah. uh, movie? So that dog's sitting on that chair that Johnny Depp was, and he's got the you know crown on his head. He's got a bone in his mouth, and they're just dancing around him. And that is like literally like 10 seconds at best. And it was just like, oh, that was kind of a waste. Like who would have thought of that? Why did they do that? Just so weird. Are they going to eat the dog? Like is that what they mean? Because they were going to eat Johnny Depp. So you don't need to watch it, but that's there's just something funny at the very, very end of the movie. Now, I remember that from the first time watching this um, because this might have been about the time, like 2006, 2007, when you got to start staying through the end of the movie to see those final end credit scenes, you know? So I do recall seeing that. Yeah. And speaking of, like, you just mentioned the Aborigines. I loved that entire, I don't want to call it, I guess, kind of a detour. Like, they're they're exiting the whole pirate space and just being on the ocean and pirate v. pirate, a pirate versus the Royal Navy kind of thing. And now all of a sudden you land on this uh, island with cannibals. And that entire scene was awesome. I loved it from, from the moment he landed to the moment they left. You know, freaking awesome. It was. And, and he, uh, you're right. From beginning to end with him, you know, with his eyes closed, with all those you know, eye, other eyes painted on his face from that point to the very end where they are on that spinning, um, what is that? The water wheel. And they're going, you know, riding that all the way down to the very end. I was like, man, that is number one creative, but number two, visually, they did a really good job. It didn't, it didn't make you dizzy, but at the same time, it helped you to feel like the, the pain that the, 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 uh, um, not, not actors, but like the characters were going through and the fighting, like the constant fighting. Um, even though you're on something that's horrible, like you're still fighting everything from beginning to end is rather fun. And then getting the heart, like that was literally like 20 minutes of just constant fast pace, 
action fighting back and forth with the heart in the opening up to the chest and pulling it out and all that sort of stuff. Like it was a really, really good scene from beginning to end. Yeah, without a doubt. It was, but you're kind of like mixing two scenes, right? Being on the island and then landing on that other island with the heart. Oh, sorry. I forgot. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I forgot. Two different scenes right there. I was just talking about just with the cannibals. I agree. We'll get to that later scene, finding the, the dead man's chest and everything. But I really enjoyed the entire scene with the cannibals. Initially, Will Turner gets there. You're going through and you see the bird, that parrot that he's always seen before. And that parrot all of a sudden says, don't eat me, don't eat me. And <laughs> it's just funny how parrots repeat what they hear. But Will Turner just doesn't get the message and he continues on to the island, you know. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I was blending them two together. Um, but yeah, I really like how... I, it's hanging there. Now, I was going to ask you, why in the world would they be hanging there in that, I guess, ball that's made out of bones or something? Why were they hanging them there? Is that so they won't escape? Is that the main main reason to hang them there? Yeah, that's their prison. But then it also, I mean, yeah, the from looking at the cannibals' perspective, hey, how can they escape? They're hanging from balls below a bridge. There's no way. But from the movie producers and the director's perspective, it was a really cool scene watching these two competing balls of prisoners competing against each other to get to the cliff to get out first you know yeah yeah i i thought that was really good how they got that ball to swing and everything and which is exactly what i would think like how do can you we think get... that's actually possible to do i think you absolutely can it's just getting the momentum and moving your body weight from side to side but you now, think getting... like a group of like 10 guys in a ball can work together that way it's either that or going to die. I mean, you keep trying. <laughs> I guess maybe they can pull it together for, for the next 10 minutes to do it, huh? Yeah, just keep trying. I mean, what are they going to do, kill you? I mean, they're already going to die. You're going to be eaten alive. So let's go ahead and try it. Let's keep doing it. But I think you, you, you absolutely can because as the ball gets further and further away from the other side, you have time to then shift your weight to from one side of the ball to the other one. And it just I think eventually you could. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Right. If I just think about if one person could do it on a swing, 10 guys can do it in the ball as long as they work together. You're right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I, I thought it was fun. Like if, if at first it felt like um, Pat, I was going to call him Johnny Depp, but um, uh, Jack Sparrow. I thought he was like their their leader. <laughs> but no, he was basically being pampered so they can eat him. How weird is that? The idea that you are our God for the next day or so but then you're going to sacrifice yourself for us for sustenance you know that's i wonder if there have actually ever been tribes who did that huh i'm kind of thinking no but you know it's kind of an interesting idea you know as opposed to just let's cut you and cook you i mean maybe he showed some kind of a promise he was leading this other group of people that was on the island so they automatically assumed this guy knew what he was doing and they made him their god yeah yeah, and it was funny when Will Turner gets taken away, and like everybody gets taken away, and yet um, you have uh, Jack Sparrow say, "Save me!" really quick. I was like, "What? What's going on?" Yeah, yeah, Uniki snip snip. I like that whole line with him communicating with the natives. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fun stuff, man, for sure. You know, one thing about Jack Sparrow, I really like it when he he talks fast and he talks logically if you listen to his sentence, but he's using these big confusing words in order to like confuse the pirates into agreeing with what he wants. You know, I, I like it when he does that kind of stuff. 
Yes, I agree. And when he, I mean, he did it a number of times in this movie. I wanted to say at least counted three, two to three, if I remember correctly. Definitely two, possibly three, where he just, like, the, the train of thought just keeps rolling. And he keeps saying, like, and, and, you know, with this pirate said, and, and said pirate doing this. And, like, he just kept, in the way that he's saying it, makes you, like, let me just think about what you just said so I can make sure I know what you just said. Yeah, but he moves on so quick and he acts like you should understand so that you kind of, I think you have this kind of like, um, uh, uh, I guess it spurs you to just kind of agree with him because you don't want to seem like an idiot, like you're too slow to pick up on what he's saying, you know? Yeah, it, yeah, I, I agree. And I was just looking over and thinking about the, the actors. Um, it seemed like throughout the whole movie, Every actor was was solid. I couldn't find a uh, an actor that I was like, man, they could have picked somebody else better. Um, I was reading also that for Davy Jones, Michael Keaton was actually considered to play the role of Davy Jones. Oh, he would have been great, man. I like Michael Keaton in every movie I've ever seen him in. So he's an actor that could have nailed it for sure. You know what is a Michael Keaton movie? We're going to go way off the <laughs> off the deep end, but. Uh, um, a movie that is really underrated, that's very funny, that is a Michael Keaton movie. It's called Multiplicity. Have you ever seen it? A long time ago, and I remember Jack Squad about it. Okay. It's just very, very funny. Like like one of the one of the guys he basically just clones himself over and over again. And one of the clones is so dumb, he's like putting his pizza in his wallet and, and like, I'm gonna save this for later. It's not, it's just it's a uh, it's a one that you just have to have fun, you know. Have Is fun it a with. movie worth covering in this podcast? No, not necessarily. Oh, okay. <laughs> I just remember, yeah, I just remember little bits. Like there, I wouldn't necessarily say let's go ahead and watch it again, but I just remember little bits and pieces. I would so much rather do other hilarious movies like The Man Who too, Knew Too Little. That's like one of my favorite movies. I would love to do that one. You know, things like that. There are other more funny movies that I want to do. Yeah, I got you. So let's just think about Michael Keaton real quick. Which Michael Keaton movie could we cover in this podcast? Do you think? Well, shoot, for me, the easiest one is uh, two of them. Beetlejuice, number one, and number two would be the first Batman. The first Batman was just blew my mind away because they obviously being young. First Batman, I was like, this is brilliant. You're 100%. Those are the first two movies that come to my mind as well. So maybe someday we'll be doing them, as, especially Beetlejuice. I mean, we cover a ton of different superhero movies, but we don't often cover horror comedies. Not not that there's really horror, but there's kind of elements of horror, horror to Beetlejuice. I think that would be a fun one for us to cover. I agree. I agree. We'll have to put on the list of ones that we, we were like, okay, what can we do now? We can pull that one out. Yeah, absolutely, man. And with Winona Ryder picking up a little bit of... um. Uh, currently with Stranger Things, like she's getting a little renaissance, you know, people are noticing her again. That would be a fun episode to cover. And Alec Baldwin's in it. He's always great. You know, Gina Davis, hey, it has some really good actors in the movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. So thinking of other parts to the movie that made it a little more well-rounded, not not well-rounded, it just made it have an extra added thing to it was the Kraken. And apparently it's pronounced Kraken, but it's what we as Americans call it, Kraken. And we remember from, there was that one. Um, yeah, but we're Americans, right? So our pronunciation is correct, right? Everyone else is wrong. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But there was that, there was the, um, I can't remember what movie that was, but it was back in like the 1980s. And it was like the, the um, uh, oh, shoot. Clash it, it of the a, Titans? 
Clash of the Titans. There you go. And they made, <laughs> we made it. Yes. We used to watch that once or twice a year, every year growing up with with mom when it would come on on NBC or ABC, you know? Absolutely. It was a fun, fun movie. But I remember, release the Kraken. And so I remember that. So apparently it's, at least I'm reading here on IMDb, they're saying it's supposed to be pronounced Kraken, like K-R-A-Y. No, they're wrong. Yeah. Clash of the Titans is right. Uh, that's Kraken. that's um basically gospel for me, you know? That there movie. you go. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you think about the Kraken? It's basically a big octopus. What did you think about it? Okay, so two things. I really like the character, not character, the creature of the Kraken and the idea of it. But I do not like that his first appearance, within three seconds, he breaks that first ship and everybody is basically dead. And later on, when he's actually meeting Jack or meeting the Black Pearl, uh, he just you know takes his time, lets the ship fight back against him. I don't like the fact that they had the Kraken doing two different... M- modus operandi you know what i mean i thought the exact same thing i really like the kraken i like the at the very end where jack sparrow is going to try to you know fight the kraken by himself i uh, all that was really really cool i like the kraken but yes you're absolutely right when he comes up the second time like why don't you just do what you did to that first boat i just thought it was rather silly now obviously they want to build more suspense like what could do something that's that crazy or that that like monstrous Uh, i could see that but why not do it every time? If that's you can easily just destroy it. Why try to like bring your arms up or your like tentacles up so it can get blown off and all that sort of stuff? It's just it was a little irritating to me that they did that. You know, like a not bait and switch, but just it's like he. Why would he do two different ways? Yeah, exactly. It's it's like a we talked about it for the last Jedi, right? Why would you suddenly now? open up the possibility that you can zoom at light speed and destroy a gigantic ship why can't you just do that with the death star every single time so why would you show the kraken breaking up a ship in three seconds that's pointless because it ruins the not ruins the suspense but it it just makes it less i it uh it pulls me out of the movie i guess i should say when i see it doing something crazy strong in the first scene and then takes its sweet time and allows itself to get beat up the second time and i i understand why and i agree and i understand why they wanted to do this it was to build like what is this cra- crazy you know thing that can do this i understand that but they could have done it differently if they didn't want to show it you know they want to say what is that and not show it at the same time and build more suspense for when it actually is shown completely agree with that but the way they did it with it you know, basically the boat literally ex- or imploding or being pulled under um in literally a half a second they could have done so much more where um it was more showing inside the cabin and what's going on inside there and they're like oh what's it's being all torn apart but you don't see exactly what's tearing them apart you can like that you can do that it maybe take 15 seconds but obviously be a lot more money to try to do something like that but yeah you're right it took me out of the movie when i was like why did it do it then but it didn't do it here a couple times and so yeah i'm right there yeah and um something that confused me you might have the answer why is the monkey um why is it still cursed why is it a skeleton in in this movie i don't no, I mean, because usually everybody has to put the coin back. Did he take it and run out like and everybody else put it back? Like, is that what happened? Yes, I think at the at the very end of the movie, you see the monkey at the end of the first movie. You see the monkey pull one of the coins, one of the gold pieces out of the box. And I think it then it lunges at the camera. Then it fades to black or cuts to black. I think that's why he took one final corn coin by himself at the end. Uh, okay. Yeah. 
So that okay, so that that definitely kept him as being uh what uh zombie zombie cursed uh, monkey. Aztec guy, yeah. Yep. Totally. You know, something about this movie, this felt the first movie was Bruckheimer and we've seen a million Bruckheimer movies. We love them. But this one felt for some reason even more Bruckheimer to me. Like they had slow motion camera pans, slow motion action, sweeping shots. In the very beginning, you see all the cutlery in the tables with rain falling down slowly on them. Like he nailed like the director Gore Verbinski and then Bruckheimer as the producer, they nailed the Bruckheimerness of this movie. And I really enjoyed that. Some people just don't like Bruckheimer at all, don't like the way he makes his movies. I enjoy just about every Bruckheimer film. I, I'm right there with you. There are some Bruckheimer movies that it's like, okay, there's just too much of the same thing over and over again. But this one, they did a good job. Now, if you remember when I talked about The Curse of the Black Pearl, I mentioned how it gets a little comic-esque, like comic booky, not like like a comedian, but like a comic book. Um, and so in like a, my analogy would be a, to another movie, the Michael Keaton Batman, the very, very first Batman, that didn't feel like a comic book. But the Val Kilmer Batman, that felt like a comic book. And this one... I, I don't, there are only certain points where I started to feel that. I think it was one place that I really, um, get a sense of that is when they're with the Mama Juju Bee, like whatever that lady, you know, what's her name? The, uh, uh, witch doctor? Yeah. 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 So it's, it's when they're talking with her is when I, I don't know, maybe it's like a closed in space and they have too many like weird things. I, I don't know. I'm probably far off, but just for me, it, it took me a little bit out of the out of the element. But I think in part three was even worse, where there were some things I was like, "Man, that's just a little too comic booky." But I'm probably far off. Did you have any sense like that? Yeah, you know, after you mentioned it in the last movie, I was thinking about it for this one. And my guess is when you were talking about too comic booky is something that you mentioned earlier in this episode. Right now, is fighting on that spinning water wheel. Like, it's cool and awesome to look at, and it's sweet how that wheel spins 50 times and they're still standing on the top fighting on it, but that is totally unbelievable. Way too unbelievable. And the, I, I, I'm I, right there. So you're, the water wheel has slats, or they're basically paddles. So if you're walking on it and you're up, you know, on the top of it, you're going to get your foot caught. Like, you're not going to be able to fight and do that same thing for the yeah, entire ride Yeah, you might take five down. steps before you make a misstep. Absolutely. And so that was just like, okay, this is just a little too much. Um, I, I really loved when, um, Johnny Depp's character, or, uh, Jack Sparrow was running inside there and then that bar comes and bangs him in the head. I was, oh, I, that, that was fun. Like I felt like I got hit in the head when that happened, but we're going down the whole mountain on that thing. I was like, oh my goodness. Like it's very, they did a good job making it visually look really fun, but practically definitely not practical at all. And in no way anybody could ever do that. Yeah, not at all. Um, and uh, speaking of <laughs> speaking of something impractical, uh, have you know you know that I listened to Adam Kroll, and I think I mentioned him the, on the last podcast. Well, one of the things with Adam Kroll, he created a bucket list of fifty things he would like to do before he dies, and they're often things that you see in movies that would never actually happen in real life, right? Like he says, one of the things he would love to do is um, uh, dive into a body of water with a knife held in his between his teeth, you know, That's something <laughs> you see in movies, but nobody would do that in real life, right? Well, for me, as I was watching this movie it occurred to me that one thing I would like to do before I die is I would like to make somebody drop their sword at my sword point because they realize they can't win. Wouldn't that be <laughs> awesome to do someday? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you have, um, uh, Will Turner being obviously give a sword. Then you also have Commodore Lauren, 
uh, Norrington, you have Jack Sparrow. They're all, all fighting together. Can you rank which ones? Because I've read a little bit of which one the director and the writers thought was, you know, better, uh, worst, or, you know, the best. Which one do you think are, like, who would rank? Like, who was number one, who's number two, and who's number three? You just said the order. Will Turner up top, Norrington second, uh, Sparrow third. Absolutely. Yeah. And the directors, that's the way they, they believed it to be. And so obviously it comes out in the movie uh, or the writers and the director. And so, yeah, you have Jack Sparrow is definitely not a swashbuckler, but he's more he's obviously a planner. He'll be able to figure things out. Very, very clever and conniving. But yeah, Will Turner is definitely the number one. He pl- practiced, we remember, in Curse of the Black Pearl, he practiced what was like five hours a day or something like that. Mm-hmm. But you know what's interesting about that? That's just talking about skill. If we think about maybe, I don't know, it's kind of tough. If we think about wisdom, right? Living life, fighting against guys, fighting for your life all the time. It's probably totally flipped. Sparrow is at the top. Norrington is second because he can put his soldiers' lives in danger while he's kind of hanging back, you know, guiding the guiding the battle, guiding the war. And then Turner is at the bottom because he's experienced less life danger. So, you know. It's just it's just kind of flipped on the uh, of the skill scale. I I agree with that because if you watch remember part one in Curse of the Black Pearl, um, Will Turner said you cheated. He's all cheated. I'm a pirate. Like that's that's what I do. And like there's no such thing as a fair fight. And I've said this. Um, can't remember which which. Uh, you said I it think, two podcasts ago. Actually, I know what you're about to say. Yeah, I absolutely. If somebody breaks in my house and wants to steal something or hurt me or my family. It should not be a fair fight. I want it as lopsided. I want to have as much, like, I want him to have zero bullets and zero guns and me have every single bullet in the world and every single gun in the world to kill this guy that's coming at And my you family. want ninjas stashed throughout your house ready to jump down from the ceiling too. And swashbuckling pirates. I want yep. everything on my side because mm-hmm. this guy's trying to hurt me and my family. I don't want it to be a fair fight as possible. As, exactly. As as Davy possible. Jones is a good family fan, friend and he's visiting this weekend and you picked the wrong day, buddy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I agree with you there. Yeah, you don't want a fair fight when you're the one in the fight for sure. Yes, definitely. And we know with like John Wick and everything, um, you know, he just has to fight in uh, sheer necessity after, you know, the this... Once he was out, outed out of the, um, what is it called? That the group, um, people are trying to kill him. Like he's just finding out a sheer necessity. But if somebody's like literally trying to kill you, you use whatever you can. And, and there's no, there's no such thing as a fair fight when it comes to fighting. Yeah. Without a doubt. I agree with you right there. There's life lesson number one for you. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, real quick. I want to mention the Rotten Tomatoes score. Um, for the first movie, Curse of the Black Pearl. Critics at 79, audience at 86. And that's pretty comparable, you know, but that feels right. This is more of an audience-pleasing kind of movie. The the first one I'm talking about, you know. What do you think about that? 79, 86, does that make sense to you? It does. More, more than likely, the critics are usually less than... If, if it's a movie that we would like, you and I, you know, personally would like, the critics don't give it very high. And the audience, we're, we're one of the audience. We're definitely not a critic. Um, and so I could absolutely see that. That does make sense to me. I, you know, I give it an A. So it was 86. It's pretty getting close to an A. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty close with the audience. Cool. Yeah. So I agree with you. 7% difference, critics and audience right there. In this movie, Dead Man's Chest, um, it's actually a 19% difference. Critics at 50 
three. They did not give it a fresh score. Fresh score is at 60%. Audience, a little bit lower. They probably feel like I do. I gave this movie an, an A-, minus, but the audience um, gives this on Rotten Tomatoes a 72, which is still good. It's still a fresh, but I think the audience felt like me that it wasn't enough fresh stuff. You know, it's kind of a rehash. It felt like at times a rehash of the first movie. Yeah. So if I, you, you said you give it an A or A minus, I think a minus for this one. I yeah. still really enjoyed it. I highly recommend it. If you love the first, you got to watch the second. You can't stay away from this one, you know? Well, it continues the story and they pick up right where everything leaves off, which is terrific. I love the way they do that. And so I would have to give this probably a solid B, like mm. a solid B, not even a B plus. I think it's more so that I wouldn't necessarily, uh, it would take more to make me want to watch this again. It was enjoyable now that we've done it again. But I don't know if the rest of, of my life ever, unless my kids want to watch it, I don't think I'll watch it again. Does that make sense? But per first one, the first one was very, very um, – uh, it's just fresh and new, you know, a whole good story and everything. like. So I probably could watch number one again. Okay, I'm right in, I'm right in line with you. But I still – just for the franchise as a whole – Anybody who sees part one and likes it, got to watch this one. I, I still go with I the agree. A minus, but I totally understand your score too. I agree. Now, the whole franchise as a whole, I definitely give it an A. I think it's definitely, that's why we're doing it. I mean, we could have done Lord of the Rings, but man, those are long movies. <laughs> and to do a podcast on Lord of the Rings, there's so much to talk about. That, yeah, we I might mean, do that someday when we've completed all of our other life tasks and we got nothing to go on and we're both 55 and retired. Maybe then we'll talk about Lord of the Rings. Exactly. I mean, I would give that an A++++. I mean, it's just, that is probably one of the best movie trilogies I've ever seen. Um, so yeah, I, 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 but with uh, Dead Man's Chest and a whole Pirates of Caribbean um, trilogy, the the franchise, I give it all, I give it an A. It's a really solid movie. I'm, I'm down with that too. I agree with you 100%. Cool. So what is the prop that you think would be, you would want to put in your house from this movie? Oh man, it's easy. It's the titular Dead Man's Chest. There you go. That is by far the most iconic thing because you see them running with it you see them that's how you get it out i thought you were going to say i want the jar of dirt oh <laughs> <laughs> that's not good enough it's not good enough yeah yeah for sure that ted that that uh dead man's chest just looks super cool man really good design to it oh and i would like to have that double barrel key like hanging right next to the chest I like that key. Usually, you know, you've never seen a key like that, or I've never seen one like that. So it was a fun design on a key. Yeah, for sure. So I've got to have them, have them both together. Now, the other thought was, because I did not choose, and it, it played a part in this movie as well, his compass, that would have been a second choice for this movie because it does play a role in both movies. It should belong in my prop collection. I so that's what I pick. That would be the compass. You have to have so I, honestly, it would actually be a company a combination of two different things. It'd be Jack Sparrow's captain hat and the compass. I'd have to have both. That's a good one as well. I like the captain hat for sure. You know, you know what's funny about movies nowadays is right. Uh, we just talked about Hobbs and Shaw two weeks ago. And that movie's rated PG-13, but they're dropping tons of F-bombs and, and SH-bombs, and there's tons of death and stuff. It's kind of weird how, as time goes on, they're allowing more and more things to be PG-13. Can you believe 
this this just blows my mind. It's just really hard to believe that a series like Hunger, Hunger Games with kids killing kids, not even just kids, like 11-year-old kids dying against 18-year-old kids. How does that get rated a PG-13? It just blows my mind. The, the overall theme and the content of the movie. But in, in, in other movies, like you can't show boobies in PG-13, but you can show kids killing kids. And then you can have a few F-bombs in like a movie like Hobbs and Shaw, but it's still PG-13. It's just weird. The standards and practices. Um, now, I'm not saying there shouldn't be ratings for movies, but it just seems really weird and arbitrary. You know what I mean? I think you're absolutely right. It's uh, the the whole this whole thing, the parental guidance um, or the, the the rating of movies in general. The, what happened was this is I, if I remember correctly, this is actually what happened. So Hollywood was realizing that hey, people are going to start having to they're like the government or people in general, society is going to start rating us on their own. We can't let that happen. We need to make our own ratings. So we say, Hey, no, we're the, we're the ratings people. So trust us. And so the Hollywood created their own rating system so that it was like, okay, they took care of it. Well, in fact, no, it's Hollywood rating itself. And so that's really what it comes down to. You know, they just keeps, uh, keep pushing the envelope, but um, what passes as PG 13 would be definitely an R back, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, man, it's it's just really weird. Um, there's there's um, I, I I just can't believe it, you know. And it bums me out that some movies get an R rating that don't deserve it, and some movies get PG thirteen that should be R. I just can't understand it. And so, like when you and I watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Mason, my oldest boy, he's eleven years old, really wanted to see it. But I know Tarantino movies kind of they can be kind of difficult, and you know some mature content I don't want them to see. Um. So I didn't take Mason to it, but I'm glad I didn't because he would have been bored out of his mind. The movie didn't contain too much stuff really bad other than that final scene, the goriness of it. Um, uh, but, you know, you as a parent have to judge the movies that you're willing to let your kids watch, you know. So I'm kind of not really listening for the most part. I don't listen to movie ratings anymore, you know. I, I'm right there with you. And so with my kids, I absolutely screen the movies. Even what was, um, was something that came out recently? Oh, I think it was like either Spider-Man or something. Like I watch them first because I don't trust anything that the PG-13 or like the, the movie rating system actually does. I watch them first. Even if it's a fun kids movie, I'll watch it first just to make sure I'm okay with having my kids see it. And that's really what it comes down to. Like PG, parental guidance, like you and anybody, I, in my opinion, you're, you're a parent. You should be not trusting somebody else to tell you, Hey, it's okay for your kid. They're over 13. Go ahead and take them. No, I think you should definitely be the one taking charge of your, of your kids and of your family, making and having everything that goes to them goes through you first. That's at least how my wife and I parent. 100%. That's what good parenting is. Now, our friend growing up, Billy, his parents didn't give a lick what he watched. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know? No. We watched Night of the Living Dead at his house when we were, what, like five? No, maybe six or seven or something like that. Well, yeah, you might have been seven and I was nine. But, yeah, it was super young. Yeah, that was crazy. Yep, for sure. And then um, do you remember when we went to see Commando in theaters and in that scene in the hotel room when that woman's boobies, mom's mom threw her hands up over our eyes to make sure we didn't see it? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, I remember that. <laughs> how funny! Yeah, you remember that too. Huh? How funny is that, man? I do. Yep. Now I don't even show kids my kids movies that have boobies flying. I was like, ah, you don't, we don't even. Need, it doesn't matter if it's a fantastic movie. You'll eventually see it if you get older. You don't need to see it now. That's just yeah. how we parent. 
I got you. I got you. Cool beans. So let's go ahead and um, uh, get to our lessons learned. So let me tell you mine. My first lesson learned is stay on task. It's very simple lesson. Stay on task. Now, the cannibals, they kept going back and forth between Jack and the other pirates, right? If they just stayed on task and maybe divided up their forces, but they just said, you guys are going after Jack, they would have caught them for sure. You guys are going after the pirates, they would have caught them. But because they kept going back and forth, everybody escaped. That is a brilliant lesson. I didn't think about it. I, I did think at the time. I was like, man, like they get distracted too easily. And they, yeah, that's a great lesson. Okay. So my first lesson is going along with the game of the dice game. And you see Will Turner, like he knows what the end objective is. So basically know what your end goal is and go after it. And so he knew it wasn't about winning. It was about finding the key. If you found the key, then everything else would be taken care of. So knowing what the goal is and then sacrificing or not not necessarily, yeah, I guess sacrificing it, doing what you need to do, get the job done. So know your goal and get it done. I like that, man. That goes right on line with my first task, you know, stay on task, know the goal, get it done. And you're right about that. If they knew the goal was, hey, we want to eat these pirates. You guys stay with them. We want to eat that Jack Sparrow God guy. Stay with him. You know what I mean? You're right about that. It, <laughs> our, our two lessons go hand in hand. Yep. Yep. And so my second lesson is don't give in to superstition. And uh, I don't remember the name of the pirates or the boat or anything, but the first one that Elizabeth Swan went on convinced them there was a ghost of a dead bride or whatever, right? So being haunted by ghosts or ancient Chinese secrets, just don't believe any of it. Just believe in yourself and what you can do and what you know to be true. Like these guys were acting upon their superstitions and it just doesn't get you anywhere. You know what I mean? I I agree. I think it's a great lesson learned because when you think about superstitions, I mean, you, you definitely want to be wise. Like, hey, there's something going on. But the guy said, no, there's nothing more than just a stowaway. So find her. <laughs> She's probably naked, too. I think or was it? Uh, yeah. Said something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's what he said. Yeah. There's a naked girl on board. What? And they yeah. all went after to chase her or find her. Yeah. So my second lesson is with Commodore Norrington. Basically, if life throws you a curveball, you don't just go to pot and like just be a, a, a drunk like he is. You want to actually make sure that you're picking yourself up and you are progressing forward because life is not going to be easy. It's not going to be perfect and life's not fair. No matter what happens, you want to always be moving forward, trying to make yourself better. Yeah, and we, we saw the exact opposite of that in uh, recently Avengers Endgame with the character of Thor getting super depressed, uh, resorting to just beer and playing video games. You know, look what he turned out be to, uh, to end up being. Oh, it came, came out a slobbering mess. I mean, yep. it's just yeah, very bad. Exactly, yeah. So my last lesson is always be prepared to settle your debts when the collector comes. So... Uh, and that's what Jack Sparrow had to do. You know, when the Kraken came, when Davy Jones says it's time for you to settle up, uh, you know, you make your debts. I mean, you make your bed. It's time to lie in that bed, right? So you made bad choices early on. Man, face up to it. Deal with it now to hopefully move on in the future, you know? That's a great point. Mine is a little bit opposite. Of, well, I wouldn't say opposite. Mm. It goes along the same lines, but the different thinking. So think Keep breaking of, rules and avoiding consequences. <laughs> <laughs> Keep running away from everything. 
Um, no, Will Turner, if anybody ever tells you, hey, tell him you're there to settle his debt. I'm like, what? Oh. Why would I ever do that? That's just stupid. Oh, it'll, it'll, it might win you in his favor. Like, no, like I'm not co-signing for you on something. Like I'm not signing for that car for you. Like, no, any debt that you're getting on yourself, that's yours. I am not there to do any of that. That is a good lesson. Just do not, in general, don't be a co-signer for somebody else. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. Oh, I love that, Les. That is so good. I didn't even think about that. That would have never occurred to me. Freaking love it, man. <laughs> All right. So uh, my Monday morning quarterback is, uh, and I've talked about this before in another movie, but you know, Davy Jones, you know that this guy, their father, or these two guys, their father and son. So keep them separate. If any two people on your ship, like they have a vested, vested interest in each other's lives, it's these two people, right? You don't you don't keep them together at all. You're all, they're always separate. You know, you don't want them conniving behind the scenes, behind your back to do whatever they want to do. Especially after you just had him whip him. Like that's just, that's not going to make him be more mad at the kid, more mad at you for having to do something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Totally, totally. So my Monday morning quarterback, as soon as that chest is open, just stab that heart right there yeah. and there. Oh, don't wait. Yeah, why well, wait? Do like, you think Do you think he knew what the result of st- stabbing the heart was? I, I just assumed, like even watching this over again, I was like, okay, it's his heart. He's one trapping people. Just kill him. Like literally kill him like he's a vampire. All the other vampires die <laughs> or, you know, they stop being a vampire or they die because you killed the main bad vampire. Yeah, but doesn't the ocean need a Davy Jones? Oh, I don't know. Maybe I, that's just what I would have done. I was like, okay, this is going to kill him and stab him. Oh, I got you. Yeah. I I see what you're saying. Yeah. 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 I got you there. But I guess maybe we'll, we'll watch part three and really kind of like uh, try to examine the story and examine the idea behind stabbing Davy Jones and maybe the necessity to become the new Davy Jones. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. If you remember, I think it was in Hobbs and Shaw where I mentioned that in part three, there's a, there's a good size. Oh, that's right. You mentioned it. Yeah. There's a problem in the storyline. At least that's what I see. And I only watched, um, uh, Ad World's End one time. So that's what I caught the first time. So I might be completely off. Didn't really catch it. But the word captain, not somebody saying it, but it's about a captain or captains or whatever. I wanted you to watch for that and see if you could see the glaring hole that I saw. And I'm going to watch for it too. Maybe I was completely off, but watch for a glaring hole that uh, would all of a sudden, you know, kind of throw a wrench in the storyline. I gotcha. And I'm going to prophesy something for myself and for the audience right now. Everybody listening, I guarantee when Dusty's ready to discuss this idea, he's going to ask me the most convoluted, difficult question in the world, and I won't be able to answer it. That's Dude, my prophecy. I, I am Nostradamusing this show right now. I'm going to make that come true. That's yeah, <laughs> sweet, man. Right. All right. So the last thing I want to say is, and I've already kind of mentioned it, my favorite scene is just the entire time when they're trying to escape from the natives, both the pirates... Um, along with Will Turner and, of course, Johnny Depp's character of Captain Jack Sparrow. Just the whole scene, him trying to escape, the throwing fruits at him. They get speared on his stick. They're climbing up the wall. I mean, everything is just super fun in that scene. I just absolutely loved it from beginning to end. I agree. And I, I, oh, I agree that it was a fantastic one. But for some reason, I always got gravitated to the Davy Jones playing the organ. For some reason... I just really, really enjoy that. You know, it, it basically, I think David Jones is a fantastic character. Um, Niley, the guy Bill playing Nighy. him. 
Bill Nighy did a great, fantastic job. I just really, really enjoy this character. Maybe because he's Scottish, you know, it's just the accent is just really cool. But uh, no, I just really like the organ playing. I thought that was really, really fun. And then the kind of anything around that organ and him playing it, I just thought it was a, a nuance of that character that you would not normally have seen. And they put that in there. I thought that was really good. Absolutely. That's a great point, man. There's something about organ music and the way he played it. Organ music's always beautiful. It's also at the same time haunting and maybe sad and heartfelt and all of that emotion gets expressed in Davy Jones. Now, at the time, you don't know what his emotions are about, but in the past, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, you and I saw the part three, so we know what's going on right there. But I agree with you, and it's really interesting looking back at that scene is that now you know why he is so heartbroken, you know, in that scene and why he's playing the music as heartfelt as he is. Absolutely, and two things come to mind is, number one, how he's playing it. He's playing with his tentacles because he has a big claw, you know, for a hand, but that's one that's really, really fun to see. But then also, number two it's actually the same song but at a faster tempo as the one in the locket that that's playing that you know when he's falling asleep it's the same I song i never so, knew yeah yeah it's pretty neat to see that and so yeah all the everything around that like davy jones i liked the character and then him playing was really really fun using his tentacles and everything was really cool and the shot where it's like the, the in the hull of the boat and you just see his back playing and it's it's a big long shot from down the hallway or down the the hall the room really really visual i, I was like this is cool Nice, man. And right now, you mentioning that reminds me of one of the most difficult parts to play in the Lego movie Dead Man's Chest game. It's 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 trying to get up through his, I guess what you whatever you call that area that he's in, and trying to collect the key from him. I, I, did you ever play that Lego game? No, I didn't. It's a really tough scene trying to figure out what tiles to step on and stuff and and trying to avoid the musical i can't remember exactly but it was the toughest thing i played it for like 20 minutes 30 minutes with the boys trying to figure out over and over again dying and then coming back again on that scene it just reminded me of that did you figure it out yeah we eventually did we figured it out and beat the game eventually but that was the toughest scene out of the entire game (laughs) awesome yep yep Cool beans. So uh, let's see here. Did we talk about... I think we talked about everything, right? Is there anything uh, the left that we failed to mention? No, we got everything. Cool beans, man. So once again, of course, last week was Curse of the Black Pearl. This week, Dead Man's Chest. So you know what next week is going to be at World's End. So come on back and listen to us talk about the movie. You know what I mean? You ready for that one, Dust? Yes, let's do it. Cool beans. So thank you so much for listening, everybody. If you enjoy this episode, please share it with a friend. And of course, you know how we feel about the first two movies in the Pirates franchise. We want to hear your thoughts. Tell us any life lessons that you took away from this movie or your own Monday morning quarterback or maybe a movie prop that's cooler than our props. Maybe you want that spinning water wheel in your backyard. I don't know what it might be. So leave a message or leave a comment at watchandlearnpodcast.com slash pod 62. Alrighty then, my name was Sky. And I'm Dusty. And we will return next week with Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. <laughs> <laughs>